Welcome to the Boyd Meets World podcast. Earlier this month, the Washington Huskies received a commitment for one Jacob Eason, who was a star quarterback at Lake Stevens High School. Eason originally committed to the University of Georgia, but ended up transferring to UW. I got his high school coach, Tom Try, to come on and talk about the type of player and person Eason is. Coach Try was great and was a blast as we certainly went off the rails a little bit talking football schematics and the icky parts of college football. Here's Coach. Credit to uh, to John Gebert for for setting it up. Uh, how do you know John? John hired me. He was principal uh, back in 1998 when I first started at Lake Stevens, and he was the principal. And when I uh, was hired as a history teacher and football coach, as an assistant football coach, back way back in the day. Got it. Very cool. Um, yeah, I went yeah. to I went to college with uh, with John's oldest son Matt, He's one of my best friends from college. I don't know if you've met Matt. Oh, cool. I haven't met John's kids. No, I've never met Matt, but pretty sure, what, was he a, a Marysville kid? Uh, he went to Everett. He was at Everett, yeah. Oh, he went to Everett. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. See, there you go. I, I, didn't, I wasn't sure where even John and those guys lived, so yeah. I just know that John originally t- taught and coached at Marysville Pilchuck right. before he came over to Lake Stevens, so I figured maybe he lived over there, too, but... I don't know. Yeah, there you go. I don't know the last time you uh, you shook hands with with John, but I think John is the firmest handshake I've ever had in my entire life. John's got a good hand. I saw John just last Friday, no, last Thursday. I want to say, uh, yeah, it was Thursday. He came by to talk to Brent Barnes, and I was uh, play, uh, I had volleyball with my PE class, and he does. He's got a good firm handshake. I agree. Yeah, he's ro- he's rock solid. You can never never catch him off guard. He's he's always beating you to it and leaving you in a vice grip. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like I said, thank you for coming on and doing this. We're going to talk about uh, Jacob Eason. But when I was looking at at your just kind of bio of you know Coach Tom Try, I saw the uh, the Ike special come up um, from back in 2010 with uh, Lake Stevens playing Snohomish High School. How how cool was that? How special was that to be a part of that moment? It was pretty cool. It really was. I was just talking to uh, a couple of people down in Seaside uh, on. Sunday evening about the Ike special. Uh, I, Ike's mother, Kay Dietzenberger, uh, she's doing a uh, her dissertation on on that play, and she's just finishing it. And she actually called me when just last night or two nights ago, Sunday night, when I was down at Seaside, and so I was telling, showed uh, my brother-in-law and and uh, his wife uh, the play because they didn't know about it, and and they one of them came to tears when literally while we were eating dinner um, and I showed him the play that was on YouTube and the fact that there was over 1 million like 1.25 million views of it or whatever and yeah. started crying it's like it, it was you know it, it, it was so impulsive and it happened so fast and quite honestly my first reaction was geez we just gave up a touchdown like we just at halftime had talked about how we were going to shut our biggest rival out and you know we were winning the game 36 to nothing and and uh, they called timeout with like seven seconds left and however much time was left. And their coach comes over and says, hey, we're putting Ike in at running back. Just just don't hurt him, okay? Just make sure guys don't hit him too hard or tackle him too hard. And uh, I saw our D coordinator who was out there at the, during the timeout said, yeah, yeah, no problem. And ironically enough, most of those, because we were beating them 30, 36 nothing at the time, and so most of those kids were all kind of back, or JV kids or backups. Right. Well, the year before, they were also JV, and Ike had scored against our JV team. Well, they were almost all the same kids. Oh, wow. And so most of those kids said, hey, don't worry, Coach, we know what to do. Well, I didn't really know what that meant. Because <laughs> I wasn't at the JV game two years before. Sure. And so our guys literally dive and tap, or, you know, miss them on purpose and try to make it look as realistic as they could make it. And, and when it happened, you know, all the varsity starters were on the sidelines, and they're going, hey, that's, that, that, no, you know, and so they were all fired up and ticked off, mm-hmm. and it kind of got me fired up and ticked off for a second, and then I realized that all of our fans, all of them, were all up and cheering. I don't know if you can kind of see it in the background, but when he scores that touchdown, well, if you look at it, that's where our fans were sitting on that side of the 50. And they're all up cheering. 
Yeah. You know, so I, I took me about a minute or two, and as I crossed it at the end of the game, as we were all shaking hands, and I made sure I brought it up in the post game, that, like, that might have been one of the coolest things we had ever done before. It was impulsive. Our guy, I mean, we didn't tell him not to tackle. We didn't tell him to tackle. They just said, Coach, we got it. Don't worry. We'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, he's rumbling 51 or 61 yards down. Runs out of bounds on their sidelines just about. One of their coaches kind of pushes them back out <laughs> on the field. And our guy still just dove and missed on purpose and, yep. you know, allowed him to go and, and run down and score. And, you know, I just had no – I think I had 200, 300 – and I'm not exaggerating when I say that, two to 300 emails from all across the nation. Sure. I got emails from the Philippines. I got emails from all over the place about how, how cool that was. And it just didn't know it. You know, it just, it was just, we were doing something nice for, for an, uh, a rival in school and, and, you know, and, and we, we needed a learning experience and, and a lifelong lesson. And, um, I grew up from that. So sure. that, that, that was a pretty cool deal. Yeah, that's one where, I mean, you can you can look back when your career is all said and done and, you know, you might not remember every game, but that, that one play will certainly stick out forever. So um, very, Always, very, very cool sure. to be a part of, I'm sure. Still gives me goosebumps. I had forgot yeah. about it until until I saw it again um, from this. So, <laughs> so that was very cool. Uh, anyways, when did you first hear the name... Jacob Eason. So you said you started out as an assistant at, at Lake Stevens in 1998. Yeah. And uh, when, so, did, when did Eason's name pop into your into your uh, your lexicon? Well, it, it, that's kind of a two-parter. I'll try not to bore you to death. But, but uh, so I first knew of Jacob Eason when he was an eight- and nine-year-old kid. But that's only because his dad, who was a firefighter, was the coach for the 89er team. And he took the time to come in and meet with me. And it wasn't even about Jacob at all. Mm-hmm. It was he wanted to learn our offense. He, so he came and probably met with me like three or four times during the summer going into that season when he, I think Jacob was a, a nine-year-old kid uh, because they were going to try and run the spread offense. And so he wanted to know how to simplify some of the things that we were doing but he, so that he could kind of try and start teaching Jacob some of those fundamentals and terminology and just give them a little bit of a head start. So then we, we do a peewee camp every summer. It's a four day, uh, two and a half to three hours each night. It's just over four days. Um, we do a peewee camp for all of our third through uh, ninth grade kids. So it's basically eight-year-olds on up to 15-year-olds. I first saw him throw a ball at our peewee camp when he was nine years old. And realized then, it's like, oh, you know, if all things go well and he keeps growing and keeps learning and his dad is running our stuff, like, he could be a pretty good player. You know, he, he, he didn't wow you, but at the same time, you're going, hmm. <laughs> you, you, you knew when he threw the ball, it's like, yeah, that kid's got, got a good release and he's got a shot to be a good football player. Sure. So that was when he was nine. Kind of forgot about him. I mean, we saw him every summer at Pee Wee Camp, and I did talk to Dad a little bit here and there, and he's a great guy, um, great friend now, uh, but we would just kind of talk, you know, he would ask me, hey, Coach, what's new? What do what you got new? And I want to put it in if you got something new in. Hmm. So he would just kind of keep tabs with me as he coached, he coached Jacob all the way up until Jacob got into the eighth grade. Oh, sorry, the ninth grade. So he ran their select team on up until Jacob was, what, 13 or 14 years old. And they ran our stuff. And they won quite a bit of, you know, the, the league championships. And I went and watched him play, uh, I think, when he was an eighth grader and was pretty impressed. But what really set it off for us, or what, when I really first met Jacob or, or got to know Jacob, and this is a cool story, but he was going into the ninth grade, so it was in between eighth and ninth grade summer, and we were doing a seven-on-seven uh, passing tournament at Lakewood High School, which is just 20 minutes north of us. Well, we had a, a junior quarterback that was taking, uh, taking over for Jacob uh, Nelson, and Jake Nelson was an all-state quarterback who just got a scholarship to Central. We, we got the semis that year, so the year that Jacob was going to be, or was an eighth grader, we, we got in the semis. Mm-hmm. So 
going into his ninth grade year, we had a junior who was a really good athlete that was the backup quarterback as a sophomore that we thought would be our quarterback for the next two years. Well, hmm. just so happened that that junior was also a really good baseball player because he was a great athlete. And so a day before we had our seven-on-seven tournament, his name was Gavin O'Neill, he called and canceled saying that he had a double-header makeup for the rain out back in May and that he wouldn't be able to go to the seven-on-seven passing tournament. And I was pissed. <laughs> but because it was so late, you know, I can't, I mean, I got, I got all these receivers and DVs and linebackers and everyone ready to go play. We don't have a freaking quarterback. So, of course, I call, I mean, as soon as I find out that Gavin can't go to the, to the, uh, passing tournament, I call my assistant who I'm talking on the headphones with on Friday nights. He's also our quarterback's coach. And I teasingly said, hey, I'm going to fire you if you can't get Gavin to go. <laughs> and he was just, just giving him crap. But, but, uh, he's like, no, he's not going. He's a baseball guy. We should just cancel. I'm like, I'm not canceling. We've already paid the money. We've got, I've got it. I mean, I've got the check here. I've got kids. Like, we're not canceling. I said, why don't we just, let's just have Jacob Eason run it. Let's just, let's give him a shot. Let's see what he can do. We'll go get our butts kicked. But, you know, at least we'll have an idea of what kind of freshman quarterback we'll have. Long pause. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I'll call, I'll call Jacob. We'll see if we can get him. So he gets off the phone. He calls Tony and, and Jacob. Tony's his dad. Sure. And uh, sure as heck, yeah, they're all in. They want to come. Um, so we had a you know a freshman quarterback, and Tony shows up, of course, and he's got a video camera, and he's standing behind the huddle and behind the seven on seven the entire day. He was like a kid in a candy store. He was so jacked up. Right. But anyway, to make a long story short. Uh, so Jacob played quarterback for us. That was the first time in our system with us. Um, he did have eight days of spring camp uh, before before uh, the seven on seven, but he was kind of with the freshman and a little bit with the JVs, and I didn't really see him throwing the ball around. He was never with the ones. Let's put it that way. Right. So so anyway, so we get into this uh, seven on seven deal in, in uh, late July, and and. Uh, we have three games, and then that determines your seeding for the playoff round or whatever. Well, uh, playing two pretty good teams, one was Bothell, and the other one was, uh, uh, I want to say, Tumwater, um, which is also a pretty good team or a good program. And Jacob went out and just torched them. Like, bang, 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 touchdown. Bang, 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 touchdown. All I did was I would call a play, and I'd stand behind him, and I'd just say, here's your read. Okay, you got a corner. Uh, bubble and a snag. Look at the corner, throw the snag, whatever. And he right. just went back there and just, it was like 40 points. 40, I mean, we had 40 points in three games in a row and we won all three of them and we were, you know, one of the top four seeds. Well, anyways, played some pretty damn good teams and we get all the way into the finals. We ended up losing the teams that year. They had a quarterback who so had a full ride scholarship to, uh, I want to say BYU. Uh, God, what was his name? Uh, Billy something. Moore, Billy Moore, I want Thomas Moore, Billy Moore, something. <laughs> Anyways, they had a quarterback that was really good. We lost 49-42 to 42 in the championship game. They, neither team had a – they couldn't stop us and we couldn't stop them. They had the ball left and they scored and they beat us 49-42. to 42. And at that point in time, I realized, okay, we have a little bit of a quarterback controversy on our hands. We have a junior who's an athlete who runs the rezone option really well. But we have an incoming freshman that can flat out sling it. And he gets it, and he looks the part, he acts the part. What are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> so we went into the season going into his freshman year not really knowing. And so both Gavin and Jacob split reps for the first three games. Uh, both of them were good. We were 2-1 and one at the time. We lost to Glacier Peak the week, first week, but it wasn't either the quarterback's fault. We just didn't do a very good job against them. Uh, and I remember week four was the Monroe week. We were going into week four of Monroe, and, and I remember telling Lou, our, our quarterback's coach, the guy that I'm on the headphones with, that uh, I wanted to go with Jacob. From, from, that, from week four on, Jacob was going to be our starter. And it wasn't because Gavin wasn't performing, but 
McGavin was so darn athletic that he was probably our best or at least second best wide receiver, and he was probably our third or fourth best DB. And so he could, if I moved him from quarterback, I could get him into being a two-way starter as a receiver and a DB, and then Jacob could be our quarterback, and that should make us better in the long run because we've just added an extra athlete to what was already a pretty good team. That's how I was looking at it. Sure. So I got talked out of that by our, by our quarterback's coach. He's like, no, that's our first league game. Let's just keep it the same one more week, and then starting week five, we'll make that change. And I was like, okay, you're right. You're probably right. It's a first league game. Gavin hasn't done anything to get fired. Let's, let's, let's not make the move. So long story short, we ended up playing Monroe that game. Uh, Gavin started, played terrible, fired him, yelled at my quarterback's coach because I told I, I was one of those I told you so's. Jacob goes in, throws a touchdown on the very first series that he's playing in. Beautiful ball. <laughs> we we were down seven nothing at the time. Uh-huh. He throws a 60, 61 yard pass, hits a guy in stride as a freshman. Instantly, it's tied. Oh, no, it's not. We get a 10-yard holding penalty on the play. And to make matters worse, Jacob breaks his left hand. Um, he, got, he got hit after he threw it. Threw a touchdown, threw a perfect strike for a touchdown, but he got hit on the play and broke his left wrist and was done for the rest of the season. So so that was his freshman year, week four. He broke his, he broke his left wrist. He actually came back week 11. We were playing Skyline, at Skyline, and that was Max Brown's senior year at Skyline. He's a guy that went to uh, USC on a full ride. Um, But uh, he came back for that game because we actually played him once they were picking our butts. He played in the third and fourth quarter of that, that Skyline game, but he missed basically the whole rest of the season his freshman year. So, so anyway, so... (laughs) <laughs> at that point in time, even though Gavin was a junior, we knew we had him coming back a senior year. We told Gavin, "Hey, you're going to be our our best receiver and one of our best DBs, and you're going to play both ways, and, and we're going to have Jacob be our quarterback." And we had to change our whole style of offense. We went from a read zone team, which is kind of what you saw like Colin Kaepernick and, and Russell Wilson and and Cam Newton, and those guys are running. We went from a read zone to what's called an RPO or run pass option team because we wanted to utilize the strengths of Jacob and his. He was not a runner, you know. He wasn't a terrible runner, but that really wasn't a strength for him. Yeah, and his arm was his strength. And his it, yeah, it, to stretch the field was his strength. So we changed not our whole offense, but our whole run package changed into what we call an RPO system, and. and uh, Really, the rest is history. He started every game from his sophomore year on, and and uh, we just got better and better, and and just he was so humble and just so mm-hmm. uh, I don't even know the right word. He he was a leader on the field, and he was worked his tail off, a hard worker, but he just never got emotionally high or emotionally low. He was even Steven all the time, but he got better. Um, learned to, to become that leader or field general. Um, and by the end of a sophomore year, he had several Pac-12, several SEC, several Big Ten, Big 12 offers all across the nation. <laughs> so you went, you went into that so, seven-on-seven tournament fully expecting to just kind of take your lumps and, and that Eason we was had a... No, I, I, we were just going to practice. We thought we were going to be done in three games. Well, we thought we'd get our fourth game, but, uh, you know, I mean, probably lose at least two or three of the round-robin games and then probably lose in the first round of the playoffs and be done. But at least we'd get four games in, and our defense would get better, and our receivers would work on press coverage and getting off and finding holes in grass. And we were just going to go practice. Yeah, I had no idea that we were going to play eight games, win them all, kick everybody's butt all the way to the championship, and still put 42 up in the championship game. But we just lost because we couldn't stop them. <laughs> Too wild. Too wild. His name was Billy Green, actually, not more. It was Billy Green. There we go. That yeah. went to 
That went to uh, BYU, yeah, yeah. So my my next question for you was, when did you know that that Eason was a special player? But it sounds like uh, that it was it was abundantly clear. It was. We knew right that day. Like this kid's natural. His release, his timing, his decision making. I mean, this is a kid that had really only run our offense for six or seven days of spring camp, and then had a whole other month off before he did anything else, and he came back out as a skinny little 14-year-old freshman and slung it all over the field. Right. And this kid can throw. Like, he's good. And you hit on it, too. I mean, you know, I I can look back at myself as a 14-year-old and, and, you know, just the the level of confidence to go out and perform at that level is rare on its own, but you combine that with the talent and and you're looking at something special. He's only 6'1 at the time with a big old head and a skinny little body. And we're like, we didn't even know, we didn't know he was going to be 6'4", 6'5". Well, shit, he's all, he's, he's 6'5 and three quarters. He's, he should probably be listed at 6'6". Mm-hmm. He is legitimately 6'5 and three quarters and 245 pounds. But his freshman year, he was 6'1 and gangly and not very good feet. But boy, could he swing it. And he knew right away, like, if this kid grows and this kid develops, he's going to be a special player. Well, it didn't take very long two or three games into his sophomore year, Oregon State was the first to offer. Washington State followed that up. And the next thing you know, the floodgates opened and everybody and their mother was offering. And I mean everybody, from Alabama to Florida State to Michigan to Florida to Oklahoma to Oklahoma State, USC, uh, Stanford, uh, Alabama, everybody mm-hmm. offered. Yeah. <laughs> uh- so Lake Stevens is not not a, a perennial you know talent producer. The state of Washington really isn't as a whole producing um, you know just those five star guys who are getting offers like that. But uh, had you seen anything like that when all of a sudden the floodgates open and and you know letters are coming and and calls are coming in and uh, I've heard of some schools that had to open up a second phone line just to handle that type of of uh, volume coming in from others from schools like that. Well, we didn't. We didn't have to open up a second phone line, but we did have our first ever college days, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Meaning, I had to have, uh, he had a kind of a special footwork coach. His name was uh, LaBelle Durant, that he would spend some time on Saturdays and Sundays just doing footwork girls with. But I had to have LaBelle Durant set up three different sessions on our field with Jacob, because I couldn't because it was during spring, spring, uh, sports and so I couldn't coach during that time period but we had three different throwing sessions where he just went out and threw the receivers like in March, April and May and I had Lane Kiffin here Clay Helton here uh, Fisher was here uh, Jed Fish, uh, Jim Harbaugh uh, I mean you name it, these guys showed up and watched this kid throw the ball around on our field and I'm just like what is going on here? This is so crazy. We're having like a combine for one kid for all these big name coaches. And they're all lined up and they're just talking to each other. And this kid's throwing the ball around. I'm just thinking, I've never seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. So clearly everybody wanted him and, and recognized his talents. And, and uh, you know, he just ended up choosing Georgia. But, but uh, he could have anywhere that he wanted to go yeah we'll get to the to the decision to go to Georgia uh, in a little bit sure. but what is it what is it um what is it like for for a city and for an athletic department and for a school like like Lake Stevens to have to have an athlete like that I went to Skyline myself and so I saw you know when you have high profile athletes it just raises the profile of the school for and you know has a lot of positive ripple effects in, in other in other ways so um, kinda... I believe it did for us too it, it, it made it created more school pride. Sure. You know, we all we've always had big crowds. We, we've been we've been to the state playoffs every year since 2007. We haven't ever won it, but we've been in the finals and the quarters. I mean, we've had some success. We've you know we're five time league champ, or actually six, but we've won five of five in a row, six of the last seven, and technically seven of seven. The one year we didn't was a three way tie. We lost on a tiebreaker um, off of a coin flip. So so we've been league champs seven years in a row. Uh, and we've gone to state a couple of years before Jake. You know, it wasn't like Jake turned. We we had turned the program really with Jake Nelson, which was before Jake Eason, but and Nick Baker before even Jake Nelson. But uh, uh, I did notice 
more kids just wearing purple and gold and more kids behaving in the classroom. Um, and you know, it, it just, it, it wasn't like overnight, but sure. there was, there was a sense of pride in civic, like, Hey, I'm from Lake Stevens. You know, that's where Jacob Eason's from. Like I, I noticed that not just from guys that he was around and football players, but from the band kids and, you know, uh, kids that might just come to the games on Fridays and they all, you know, uh, one, one thing that has changed that I've noticed, we, and this is a weird deal, but we have this, what's called the gauntlet after the game is over where we let the fan, all of our fans and parents can come out on our field, but they'll do a big, huge, long line on the track where after we go shake hands with the other team, all our kids run over to the track and then they run down the gauntlet of all the fans. Mm-hmm. Well, that never, we never had the gauntlet until Jacob was a sophomore. And all of a sudden, fans wanted to rush the field, and so our athletic director, Relentis, said, okay, well, you can go on the field, but you got to do this and this and this and this. Well, that turned into, there's a gauntlet, and then people would come out on the field, and we'd be out on the field for like 15, 20 minutes after the game's over, just hanging out, taking pictures with fans, and not just Jacob, the whole team. It was so cool, though, because... It just created this huge sense of community. And we're all in this together. And here's all the little kids, that, you know, the, the 8, 9-year-olds and the 10, 11-year-olds and the 13 and 14-year-olds that are still at middle school. And they're out, out, on, their, out on their field, our field wearing their jerseys they're going to play tomorrow. But they're getting a high five on guys. And you just, all of a sudden, we were closer. You know, and we, it was just, it was a cool deal. And well, we, we still do that today. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas before, we, we never, it just never occurred to, to allow it to happen. But, but uh, I, I would put that on Jacob. I don't, I, that may not have ever happened had we not had Jacob on the team. You know, it was, everyone wanted to get a picture with Jacob, everyone. And he would, he would stand there and take a picture with people he knew, who he didn't know, people from our school, people from Everett, or people from somewhere else that just came to watch his play because they wanted to know who this kid was. He gave every person the same time and the same amount of respect as if he knew him or didn't know him. Right. And that's what was so cool about the kid. It yeah. really was. Yeah, for all the extra stress that is going in that kid's life, it, you know, to know that he wasn't ever you know, putting that on other people who were just trying to take a photo with him or you know, knew how much he meant to other people is, is huge. So uh, a lot of intangibles that, that are extremely positive that I hear about Eason. So glad to hear that you reinforce those. So you, you talk about how he went, he chose to go to Georgia over other offers. Um, how close was University of Washington in that process, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, yeah. Well, let me explain what happened. Sure. Because I think it gives you a better understanding of what was going on. So the okay so it was a sophomore year and I don't know what week it was four five seven it was it was after it was well after Oregon State and Washington State had already offered but Steve Sarkeesian was still the coach okay and uh, Tuiasa Sopo was his primary uh, recruiter and so I got a phone call on a Thursday uh, from Sark saying that he was coming up on Monday the following week to meet with Jacob and we wanted off he wanted to meet him and, and talk to him but the plan was they were you know, Washington was going to offer and so that was great sweet okay sounds good <laughs> well I come I <laughs> Monday morning every morning before school I listen to like KJR Sports you know, yep. 950 or whatever and so I'm driving to school Monday morning at 6.15 a.m. because that's what time I get up and come over to work. And I'm hearing on the radio that Steve Sarkeesian is the new head football coach at USC. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm thinking, hey, wait a second. He's supposed to be coming here today to talk to Jacob Eason. So, so right when they were about ready to offer Eason, that's when he got the head job at, at, uh, at USC. And so then Washington had took another month or two to hire Peterson. Sure. Well, meanwhile, while all this is happening, now UCLA has offered Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida State, Michigan, all these other schools are offering. And, and Pete had just got hired at, at UW. 
And quite honestly, Pete was pretty slow to call us and say anything. Like, there was no car. A month into his job, we still hadn't heard from Washington. And so that summer, so that was probably, the first time we heard from Washington was probably April or May. Like, getting towards the end of the sophomore year going into that junior summer. And so that summer, he had a trip where he was going to, uh, let's see, where did he go first? He went to Alabama first, then to Florida State, then to Georgia, and then he was going to fly from Georgia and go to Notre Dame and Michigan, and then he was going to fly home. He was, Dad was going with him, they were just going to explore all five of those schools and just get an idea. You know, that was the plan. Well, on the third stop, which was Georgia, he absolutely fell in love with the place. Loved Rick, loved Bobo, who was the uh, court offense coordinator at the time. He's now the coach of Colorado State. But uh, fell in love with both those guys. And then, uh, kind of the same time, two of them were also visiting the same time Jacob was. And he... He became instant friends with a kid named Big Cleveland, who's still at uh, Georgia playing right guard. But anyways, they both agreed, like their second day there, that they were going to commit there, right then and there. Hey, we're going, looking, this is where we want to play football, we're going to play together, and we're going to Georgia. So, my, or so Dad canceled the trip to Notre Dame and Michigan because he was, he was committing right then and there. So I mean, even though it's unofficial because you can't you can't officially commit until you're you know you're a senior, but but uh, but that's that's when he realized he fell in love with George's campus. I don't know if he fell in love with a girl. I don't know if he fell in love with <laughs> something happened where he was in Georgia and I said, Hey, I, this is where I want to go. I don't want to go to Michigan or Rhode Island. I didn't want to go look. This is where I want to go. So that's pretty. So meanwhile, Washington did offer, but they offered. I think after he had already made up his mind that he was going to Georgia. They were super slow to the game. And again, I, I don't blame Peterson. Because, first of all, I I don't think there's a man that I respect more in America than Chris Peterson. I'll tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. But he, he was slow playing it. And that's, he's, he's a flat-out command told me that, but that's their process. Him and Jonathan Smith, they want to know who to, they want to know the kid, they want to visit they want to get to know him and get it. Is he really an OKG or is he just a talented kid? Right. So he, he flat out told me, hey, we were slow and I screwed this whole thing up, but I wanted, this is how we deal with everybody, not just Jacob, but everybody. So I get it. Like, that's just, it just was kind of the way they were tired. They were trying to get the staff together. They had um, immediate recruits they had to get. I mean, Jacob was still a year out, so why would they be worried about Jacob when they had a whole year to slow work on him? Whereas everybody else, they would find the same and, and recruit as many kids as they could. So I totally get what happened with Washington. But so Jacob committed to Georgia that summer. But the following year, as a junior, he went to probably three or four uh, Washington games. Got to go into the locker room, got the whole tour, got the whole nine yards, hung out with the coaches. And so Washington was always kind of number two, like. If things don't work out in Georgia, I've got a great backup plan to go to Washington, and that's kind of what my plan would be. Hmm. Well, meanwhile, you know, half a year later, Rick gets, uh, Bobo gets the job at Colorado State, which was not that cool because he loved Bobo, but they hired uh, Brian Schottheimer to be a coordinator. So Schottheimer came up like three or four times and hung out with me and hung out with, uh, uh, Eason got to know him really well and kind of reassured Eason, hey, I, 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 it's going to be great. We're going to love it. So, but then Rick got fired. When that happened, Jacob really didn't know what to do. So he spent about two, maybe three weeks kind of looking around. Uh, it was always really Georgia, Washington, and Florida. Florida got into the picture um, a little bit late. Uh, and McElroy, he came on hard and hot heavy, and when he heard that Rick got fired, he was the first one to call. There wasn't Washington again, <laughs> it was Florida. And so Jacob took 
decided to stay with his original commitment after they hired uh, Kirby Smart and got a chance to know who Kirby was and who the recruits were going to be and, and just got another feel for kind of what Georgia was going to be all around, uh, be all about. So he recommitted to Georgia after that whole ordeal with Rick getting fired again, going to Washington, going to Georgia, going to uh, uh, Florida and looking at all those places. So uh, a couple things that popped out from that, um, it's kind of full circle that Brian Schottenheimer is going to be back in the neck of the woods with the Seahawks. I know, right? He's going to be a Seahawks coordinator. I find that so ironic. He and I have had several conversations about RPOs, about his philosophy, one step, three step, under center versus shotgun. Like we've had great conversations, and now he's the old coordinator the Seahawks. It's like, wow, that's so weird. You must have. You must have loved the Super Bowl then, with all the uh, the RPO talk and the actual I execution. I did love of the it. Super Bowl. You know, it's funny about it. it's funny you say that, Brandon, because normally things kind of tend to be they go from down, they go you know the NFL, the college to, to the high schools. You know, like right. something new. Uh, RPOs were totally different. They started at small colleges. One of us at high school started doing it. Then the bigger colleges caught on, and now you've got almost all the high schools doing it, and now you're seeing a total protein team doing it. Like, that, that it, it almost happened the same thing with, with the whole league zone option. That small school with the quarterbacks running the league zone option, and then all of a sudden a few uh, high schools were doing it. And then you saw it in the pros with Newton, and, and that was when Kaepernick was big with the 49ers, and and you got like Johnny Manziel and the, you know, those are guys that can scramble and, and run the RPOs. Or sorry, the league on us. And now the, the new flavor is going back to hey, the quarterback like Carson Wentz or Nick Bowles or, you know, uh, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or a guy that can stand back and swing it and just run, run one way and throw the other way and call them RPOs in the defense. And if you're reading all right, it's good. Well, no, it's a pass. <laughs> right. So you're seeing it. Forgot what the R stands for. You forgot what the R stands for. I just think they are way more advanced 
than what you're seeing most high schools and even some colleges run. We'll run clean side RPOs, back side RPOs, mm-hmm. full side RPOs, and it's not confusing for the guys either. That's the beauty of it. We've got a system down where one word or one little sign means right side, or one side means left side, or one side means both sides. So we can pick on safeties or sand backers or nickel backers and not be lining up where. Yeah. It's so cool. I just, it rejuvenated me as an offensive coordinator. And like I said, that was 2012, and we've been doing it ever since. And, and every year I just get jacked up when I start throwing things up, things we can do and things we can't do. <laughs> Yeah, the you know, uh, we're going to go the curve to a different subject, but we're going to uh, we're going to run what are called screen pass options. So instead of just running a screen, which is what we normally do, and then the back side just kind of runs a fake crappy screen, we're actually going to run a screen on one side and then run an actual pass play on the other side, and then give the quarterback, say, do you want to throw the screen? And he, hey, you get press man covers one on one, well, let's throw the go route on the back side. Meanwhile. You know, nine guys on the team are running the screen to the right. Mm-hmm. So we're, I'm excited about just tweaking some things and, and doing that with our screens now and, and uh, our RPOs. We'll, we'll continue to do what we're doing with them because we don't think that to stop it. It's like, why change, you know? Sure. So... Yeah, it's exciting stuff. I mean, you see see kind of that, that spread and, and like you said, it's 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 cool to see kind of this the stodgy NFL... Um, you know, we do it our way, revert to, you know, these things are working at, you know, these are football plays that are working all across the nation. Let's, let's incorporate them. So very cool. Well, hey, maybe we should try and do this a little bit. Yeah. And you're so right because that's exactly what all the college guys told me. So I asked that question, how come you don't see the stuff in the NFL? Because they're hard-headed and they don't listen to us. They do things their way and that's how they do it. And they don't listen at all. <laughs> well, yeah. that was back in 2012. <laughs> right. What, five years later. Here they are, running up. It just took them a few extra years to be they were hard headed. They realized, huh, go figure. It works. Maybe we should be doing this. Sure. <laughs> well, what was it like uh, as Jacob went went to to Georgia, and now you're seeing everything you already knew uh, about how special he was happen as a freshman in the biggest stage in the SEC to to tune in to his games on Saturdays and and just basically to see an extension of what you already knew. Yeah, I, I can just remember that, that freshman year. Uh, I was as excited on Saturday mornings. You know, I'd already had every game DVR'd. Uh, but I was excited on Saturdays to get up and watch him play as I was playing our games on Friday nights. And we had a great team that following year when he was fresh and We got all the way to the quarterfinals and went 11-1 that year, too. So, uh, but you were... <laughs> It was just so cool to see him perform at the top level. Like, because there's always that doubt. Like, you know, you know what he can do. And, and, you know, I watch him play every day. But until you get to that top level, you don't know if the kid's going to burn out or maybe he can't learn their offense or maybe he can't lead them. I mean, I, I did him a disservice. He was never under center in our offense. You know, he, he was a shot. We were in shock at 99.9% of the time. But he goes to Georgia, he's got to be under center. So I was a little bit worried about him. His footwork's different under center. You know, is he going to be able to learn the plays? Is he going to be able to call play? He never had a call play in our Never once. He had to tell, he had to know where guys were and get them lined up and, and know what routes were and how he, he would coach guys up. But he never had to sit in the huddle and go pro eye right, 44 blast on two. I mean, he never did that once. He just would read the sideline and tell guys, hey, we're doing this and this. So there, he had a lot of growing still to do, even going into his freshman year in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, and to his credit, he he not only emerged as a guy, but he he was their go-to guy. He was a leader and, and had a great freshman year. You know, I, I laugh when I hear people say it was kind of an average year. Yeah, it was an average year for their offensive linemen and their run game. It's terrible. And there was an average year for the receivers creating separation, and it led the SEC in drop passes. That's why Jacob Easton threw for 55%, not 65%, because they couldn't catch the damn ball and they couldn't get separation. So, and finally, the, their offensive line better going into the sophomore year. The receivers are more experienced, and it looks like he's going to have a much better year as a sophomore. You know, it just so happened it was Jacob Fong that got the benefits of all those things. Right. 
Right. You know, so, because Jacob got hurt. But I I think Jacob would have had a pissed out year this year. I really do. Um, it's it just <clears throat> really sad that it kind of the whole, the whole way the whole thing played out and, and he got stuck as the backup. And I understand. I don't, I don't hold a grudge against Kirby or why they did it. I mean, he, Kirby, if it's 50 50, and you got a local kid from Georgia, or you got a kid that's 2,500 miles away from Washington, you tell me which guy you're starting. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're going to have to answer to all those Georgia local people about why the kid from Washington is playing when you have a kid from Georgia that's a five star kid playing, winning all these games. So, I, I mean, Jacob was at a disadvantage right from the get go. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and quite honestly, <laughs> I'll say this. Uh, Jacob Eason was never Kirby Smart's guy. Kirby Smart had to take Jacob Eason because he was a five-star, number one guy in the nation, you know, number one quarterback or number two quarterback behind Shane Patterson or whatever you want to say. But he would have never heard the end of it from the Georgia. But but I don't think he ever had any plans to try to run an offense that would fit Jacob Eason's strengths. Yeah. Yes, they took him. Yes, they gave him a full ride. Yes, they gave him an uh chance to start a chance to lead the team but they didn't run things that were conducive to what Jacob Eason's strengths were yeah. you know I don't think they, were, they didn't really want him they just he just landed in, in their lap and you can see the two guys that they were crazy kids Jacob Brown is totally different totally different kind of kid but Justin Fields kid is even more of an RP or a lead zone option guy than Jacob Brown is and, and if you look at Alabama's model with Jalen Hurts and, and now even the Tui kid, those are all guys that can run the ball first. Mm-hmm. If they can throw, it's a bonus. But they want the, I think Kirby Smart is following Saban's format of what they did at Alabama, and they're looking for a quarterback that can run the ball. Yeah. And that's not Jacob Eason. And so as soon as that happened, I saw the writing on the wall. Like, uh, <laughs> it was very frustrating. And again, I don't hold any. Kirby Smart obviously is doing one hell of a job. You got into the national finals your second year as a head coach. Like, that's, you're doing a lot of great things if that's what you're doing. Yes. But I don't think they really went out of their way to cater to Jacob Eason at all. He was just part of the process. He kind of fell into the shuffle. And and, uh, unfortunately, their offense is more designed to be a guy that's got to call players under center and, and, uh, run the read zone and, and uh, move things around that way. And yeah. So it was time for Jacob to go find a, a place that better suited his needs. Mm-hmm. So so when did that the T word transfer first first pop up? Was I mean I don't know how how involved it you were. It started popping up about week five, week six last year when Jacob was healthy and Plum was still the starter. Right. I didn't bring it up, but you started to hear some national reporters, some guys from like 24-7, uh, Scout.com. I started to hear, oh, Jacob Eason might be transferred. I'm like, hey, what, I haven't heard that from Jacob. I haven't heard that from his dad. But I started to hear from like Barton Scott and some other guys that, are, that cover high school football across the nation. And so I called that. Mm-hmm. I think it was like week six or week seven. I said, hey, what's the deal? I was like, yeah. He's trying to earn a starting spot back. He wants to be the starter at Georgia. He wants to go win a national championship. And that's all he's focusing on right now. Right. And okay. <laughs> Week nine, I call him back. Yeah, still not playing. Yeah, he's, he's, I think he sees writing on the wall. He's like, well, we're going to have to probably start exploring some options if, if uh, things don't get better here in the near future. And at that point, I was like, okay, <laughs> right. I mean, the, so, there's just some there's some realities there of you know when you see a kid come in that's younger than you that has kind of the the political advantage on you. Um, not you know not correct. from from a talent perspective. Even if all things were equal, the kid from Georgia who can keep that pipeline open is much more important than the kid from Lake Stevens. Yes. Yep. He, and that's why, like I said, that's why I don't fault Kirby and his decision at all because that's probably what I would have done too. You know, that just you want to keep your job and you want to keep your fans happy. And you're, if you got a guy from Georgia that's that good and you're winning games and you're beating Auburn, well, not Auburn, they lost Auburn actually. That was the only loss of the year. But you're beating everybody else. Like, 
why would you make the change back? Yeah. You know, so I understood that position and just put Jacob Eason in a really tough spot. And, and to his credit, he handled it as well as anybody could. Yep. Never complained, uh, supported Jacob Fromm, uh, still learning off. I mean, he, he, he took each week as if he was going to be the starter, so he made sure he was ready to go. Uh, you know, it just he did everything right. It just it just didn't work out for him. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think he's got a pretty good landing spot, if I do say so myself. Heading to, to Washington, officially committed a few weeks ago, but um, it was it was a it was a very unofficial thing for for yeah. about a month. The worst kept secret in the world, I think. Yes, it was the worst kept secret in the world. <laughs> you are correct. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and, and that's all right. You know. It, I don't know. It bugged me how he left Georgia too, and that you know he went in to, to get his release, and and uh, you know when you, the, the, the coach can can say, hey, you can go here, but you can't go here. You can go here, but you can't go there. Like you can put stipulations, like he could say, hey, you can go anywhere but the SEC. You can go anywhere but Alabama and Florida. You can go anywhere, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, when he signed his release papers, he put Washington on it. So. Technically, Jacob could only go, could only transfer to one school. He would have had to go on back to Kirby with new papers if he wanted to go somewhere else. He asked Jacob, he goes, well, where are you going? And Jake goes, ah, I think I'm going to Washington, but I haven't really made up my mind yet. He goes, well, do you want me to just put Washington on here? And goes, Jake goes, uh, uh, you can if you want. And he wrote Washington, and that was it. Like, that was his release from Georgia. Mm-hmm. So that, I thought that was kind of a, I mean, if you're so, if you <laughs> Why are you worried about where he's going to go if you if you don't plan on playing? You know what I mean? Like that just kind of that, that rubbed me a little bit. Just I don't know. I I don't know the whole story. I just that just bugged me a little bit. But if you're not going to play the kid or don't want the kid anymore, then let him go wherever the heck he wants to go. I know it just so happens that he wanted to go to Washington, but I, I just it would yeah. kind of seem like they forced us in when in reality that's where he was going all along, anyways. But. Right, it's it's a little icky that you know that's that's uh, you know some... that's the business of college football. It exactly. really is. I mean, yeah. it is cutthroat. It it is <laughs> that's the that's the other side of college football. Right. You know, and, and the other thing I didn't tell you, you know, the real, the real writing kind of was on the wall. I think when when Justin Fields committed to Georgia as well. Mm-hmm. That just they've they've now recruited three five-star quarterbacks in a row each year. Two from Georgia. Most programs don't do that. They'll do one every other year, or they'll go maybe one every year, but he's not going to, they're not going to, you know, it's like, and then and the mere fact that he was the number one scrambler, number one, you know, read zone guy in the nation, that clearly told Jacob, hey, this is what the blueprint is. We're going to run the read zone, and we're going to run the ball, and we're going to get under center, and that's how we're going to be. Whereas Jacob's like, uh, okay, well, that's not really what my strengths are. So I think he, now, at that point in time, it was like, okay, it's time for me to probably look at find some other places that might be better suited to fit my needs. Right. Coach and I had some technical difficulties here, but I started to ask him about the scouting report on Jacob Eason and how former UW quarterback Hugh Millen said that Eason had, quote, the best arm on the planet. Enjoy. Wow, he's saying, he's, and then he followed it up. He said, Matt Stafford, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and Jacob Eason are the three strongest arms in the world, or something like that. He followed. I mean, that's kind of how he followed up this conversation. But I just remember thinking, wow, like that's obviously Hugh is really high, on, and I and I really respect Hugh because I listen to Hugh every morning, and I know Hugh. He's been he's been come by and. He's he's kind of a co-offensive coordinator at Mount Sinai High School, right? And so he's come by, um, and we've talked offenses and why we run what we run and how do we set it up and why do we run it that way. And so and so I've earned a lot of respect from you as well. And uh, for him to say that just is like wow, like that's pretty cool. Like mm-hmm. that's that's about as good as compliment as you can get. Yeah, so, yeah. I, we'll see what happens. They okay, still so have to compete. Got some good quarterbacks that are coming in, and and Gankoff and and Sermon, um, you know, and, and so. But you know, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, it, it's possible. Again, this might be a stretch, but it's possible that 
he sits a year, plays one year, is good. I mean, so darn good that he might have a shot of leaving after one, and now Yankov can take over after one redshirt, or Sermon can take over after one redshirt year. So, yeah. who knows? I mean, it, it, you can never have too many good quarterbacks, I guess. And Pete's got a, a good luxury of having some good guys right now, and not only that, but having some great defensive guys and some other supporting cast enough that they got a shot at, you know, trying to make a deep run and maybe winning the Pac-12 championship and yep. playing on, on New Year's or thereafter again this year. So, yeah, so, so all goes well. That that arm strength is well documented, and it's something that you know it's it's a it's a big headline, and it's something that, that people can take away. And if you know you know nothing else about Jacob Eason, he's he's skinny, he's tall, and he's got a he's got a you know electric arm, as they say. Uh, but what do you know about about Eason in, in terms of those those non arm strength um, attributes that that make up a quarterback? What, sure. What else does he have uh, have to offer? Well, the other thing that, that I think that most people don't see very much is the kid can take the shot. I mean, he is a tough son of a bitch. He is an old-fashioned, blue-collar type kid that can take, he took some shots as a freshman and got, I mean, you got the, you know, I don't want him to get the, you know, the, the reputation of being injury riddled because that knee injury was the first time he's been injured really in his career. He did, he had a separated uh, parcel A, what's that joint in your shoulder? Uh, AC, AC joint in his shoulders, junior year um, on his left shoulder, but he never missed a game, played through it, um, and was phenomenal all the way up until the semifinals when we lost the skyline uh, in the semis in the T-Dome. But that knee injury was the first time he's really had to face any, like, real adversity. Um, But I just remember his freshman year taking some shots against Auburn, taking some shots against Tennessee, Missouri, he got up every time. And the other thing that I think goes unnoticed is he he is just steady. He, he, he doesn't get high and he doesn't get real low. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. You know, he's, he, he doesn't get rattled. And, and I think that's going to, as you're playing in front of 70,000 people at Husky Stadium or you're playing on Sundays or you're wherever, I mean, it's those guys that don't get rattled, I think, are the ones that are going to have the most success. And he just... He'll make him, if he makes a mistake, so what? Big deal. I'm getting the ball next play, and I'm going to beat you on the next play. Like, that's kind of his mentality. He doesn't worry about, oh, I threw a pick, or, oh, I missed an open receiver, and I should have done this, or I should have done that. It's like, no, I'm just going to beat you on the next play. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really important tangible, too, because, you know, you want your quarterbacks to be emotional and be leaders, but that can also lead to some, some negative things at times, too, you know? And so... For him just to be humble and he's very loyal, but the fact that he doesn't get rattled um, is, is, is probably another really great attribute that he has that a lot of people don't know about. Right, right. Those between the ears, uh, quarterback. Or the quarterback. Between the ears, yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I think that comes from dad. Dad did a great job teaching him growing up how to be a kid, how to be a player, what's right, what's wrong. But dad went to Notre Dame, he's a real level headed guy. Uh, and I think that, uh, that Jacob just kind of carried that into his high school years and, and uh, was just, like I said, Jake, Jacob would just soon be one of the guys rather than be the guy. Mm-hmm. He'd rather go hang out with his group of five buddies from Lake Stevens and go bowling or go fish or go hunt or just go to a movie and hang out than he would be going inside the autographs and being the guy. He just wants to hang out with his buddies and he wants to be a another player on the team. Now, he's, uh, granted, he knows that the position he's in, he has to be a leader and he has to do some of those things. But but uh, I think that, that old school mentality of team first and being unselfish and, and trying to be a winner and not a me, me, me guy um, has really elevated this play too. Uh, good insight. I think I found the uh, the absolute perfect 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 person to talk to about about Mr. Easton coming to UW. I learned I learned a ton. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to talk with me about that. You're very welcome, man. Call me any other time if you have any other questions or want any other follow ups. I'll, I'll be happy to talk to you. You got it. You got it. Uh, uh, just uh, be ready for that next handshake with John. All right. Okay, man. I yeah. appreciate the reminder. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Tom. Take it easy. Hey, you bet, Brad. We'll be talking to you. Yeah. All right, bye-bye.
Once again, that was Coach Tom Try from Lake Stevens High School talking about Lake Stevens' prodigal son, Jacob Eason, coming back to the state of Washington to play at UW. Be sure to subscribe if you like what you heard. See you next week.